Welcome parents and grandparents and anybody else who takes care of children. This is The Owner's Manual, a podcast for parents, and I'm your host, Drew Nash, coming to you from One to One Pediatrics in Danville, California. This is episode 110. I've put together a terrific show for you today with all sorts of interesting things to talk about. Today, I will have an in-depth discussion with a pediatric gastroenterologist about one of the most common maladies we see in the office. You guessed it, constipation. No joke, this is serious stuff because when your child can't or won't poop, it can really disrupt the flow of not just your kid's bowels, but of the entire household routine. If any of the listeners have ever experienced what we're going to talk about today, you know what I mean. So we will bring you the scoop on poop. We will talk about causes, treatments, and prevention of this common but fundamental problem. In addition, we will continue segments we have started recently, pediatric fun facts, and parenting horror stories. At the end, I'll answer some questions from listeners. For those of you who don't already know, The Owner's Manual, a podcast for parents, is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and most other podcasting platforms. I'm really trying to build our listener base, so if you're enjoying the show, tell your friends, neighbors, your child's daycare provider, and anybody you know who might like listening. I hope you'll follow us on whatever platform you use to hear us, so you can be notified when each new episode becomes available. In addition, we're on Facebook at The Owner's Manual Podcast, and Twitter at Podcast for Parents, where you can like us, post a comment, and post a question to be answered on the show, or even tell your pediatric horror story. If there's a topic you'd like to hear about, this is a terrific way to let us know. And now for the disclaimer. While we hope that listeners are able to learn and benefit from the content of this show, the information discussed on the owner's manual is not intended to diagnose or treat any specific individual or condition. There is no substitute for direct patient care from a trained clinician. So if you have concerns about your child, we recommend that you make an appointment with your child's primary care physician for an evaluation. Before we get to the main topic for the day, it's time for Pediatric Fun Facts. Each week, I'll bring you an interesting pediatric factoid or historical item that you probably don't know and might not believe. My brain is overflowing with these things, and I'd like to share some with you. So let's jump right in. Fun facts. Did you know that just-born babies can suspend their entire body weight from a rope or line using their hands and feet? No kidding! This is crazy but true. Now this is definitely a don't try this at home thing with your baby. So please don't, don't, don't do it. There are several reflexes that newborn babies possess from the moment of birth and I'll be discussing several of them over the next few weeks. One of them is called the Palmer Grasp Reflex. This reflex is a hardwired reaction to touching the palm of a baby's hand with almost anything. That's why a newborn baby might grab and squeeze a finger, a mom's breast while nursing, or grab their own face in almost an uncontrolled fashion. It's not a controlled thing they do, it's a reflex. Like many of these reflexes, the Palmer grass reflex is felt to be a vestigial remnant of our evolutionary past, where likely offspring needed to suspend themselves from a vine or from their parents' body for their own survival. 
but this reflex has persisted and exists in all full-term babies. It's so strong that a newborn baby can literally support their own weight from a rope or stick. But I really don't want you trying this at home. So what I've done so you can see it is to put several photographic examples and even a video of this on our Facebook page for you to look at in disbelief. Find us at the Owner's Manual Podcast and check out these photos. While you're there, like us and leave a comment. And that's our pediatric fun fact for today. Today's guest attended medical school at Sindh Medical College in Karachi, Pakistan, and then completed her pediatric residency at University of South Alabama Women and Children's Hospital. She went on to do a fellowship in pediatric gastroenterology at the University of Texas Southwestern Medical Center in Dallas. She is currently part of the Department of Pediatric GI at UCSF Benioff Children's Hospital in Oakland. I've traveled to her satellite office in Walnut Creek, California, to talk to her about constipation in children. Please welcome to the show, Dr. Sabina Ali. So welcome to the show, Dr. Ali. Thanks for taking time to talk with me, and we're going to talk today about constipation. Thank you, Dr. Nash, for this invitation. So constipation, I'm not sure how many of the listeners know this, but is one of the most common things that I as a primary care pediatrician see in my office, and I'm sure that it's something that you see, see a great deal of as well. So how common would you say that constipation is, in, especially in the toddler population? So constipation is also one of the most common things we see as a pediatric gastroenterologist. Um, it's around 25% of the patients we see in our clinics. So a quarter um, of the volume of mm-hmm. what you see is constipated Constipation yep. in children. Yep. Yes. So it is quite common, yep. as you said. What would you say, if you had to guess, is the incidence just in the general pediatric population? Um, so it's somewhere around, um, the percentage is around 7 to 25%. So mm-hmm. of course, you know, um, certain age groups, we see it more than other age groups. So younger kids, um, are more tend to have this complaint than older kids. One of the things I was talking to my partner, Dr. Borden, who's been on this show before uh, about constipation that I was coming to talk to you. And, you know, I think there's times when we see them in the office when that comes in as the presenting complaint of stomachache or whatever. But I think there's also a lot of kids who are probably constipated and maybe not enough so that they're coming in with acute abdominal pain and that's not their primary complaint, but they're just walking around that way. True. Yeah. So constipation, yes, can present with the common complaint of abdominal pain, but it also can also have features like you, some someone is having urine accidents. Yep. So something, you know, you won't think about that that can be due to something like constipation. Yep. And what age do you typically first start seeing this come up as an issue in kids? Uh, so... Commonly, it's toddlers or um, someone less than 10 years, but it also can be an issue in a Mm six-month-old who has switched from breastfeeding to formula feeding or has started introduction of solids. So the most three common age groups are the six-month-old to 12-month-old, the toddlers, and somewhere after six to 10 years of age. Mm -hmm. And we also see it present kind of with behavioral components as well. Yes. Because it's not generally a happy thing to not be able to poop. So kids come in 
Yes. Very cranky and irritable. What are the typical causes? So common things being common, as I say, sure. the most common is still dietary, uh, not having enough fluids, not eating enough fiber, which can be an issue, of course, with our toddlers. Sure. Um, and then we have other causes that we look into um, is underlying hypothyroidism, so low functioning of the thyroid mm-hmm. gland or... Um, celiac disease, which is uh, problems with related to an immune issue with gluten mm-hmm. <clears throat> in your diet. Um, less common causes, which we sometimes encounter or may have to look into further, um, can be something called Hirschsprung's disease, which is a, a nerve-related issue in your large intestine um, or a spinal cord um, abnormality. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are less common, but something we always have to keep in our minds when we see um, um, a child with constipation. Yeah, but the majority of kids who maybe have had labs done to exclude a lot of those conditions, yes, um, majority, it's it primarily is a dietary related yes. thing. Yes, so majority is something what we use the term functional constipation, which means there is nothing big or bad going on. It is something related to diet as as you or as you mentioned behavioral mm-hmm. so you know they had a episode of passing a hard stool and had pain and now they just are afraid to poop and stooling or pooping becomes this traumatizing uh, episode has become so they're just holding mm-hmm. and that leads to more accumulation of harder stools and kind of your in this vicious cycle. So there's a cyclical constipation and capricious thing that we see. And capricious is having, you know, stool accidents. Right. Um, and that is a huge toddler thing. So if you could go into a little more detail, because this is something that I think when I see a kid in the office and take the history and find out about this and I start explaining this to them, parents look at me in disbelief that something is fundamental to our lives is having a bowel movement could go this awry and cause this degree of problems, discomfort, behavioral issues. So can we, can we go a little more detail about this? You said, you said it oftentimes started with having a single painful bowel movement, which we've all been there. So, <laughs> um, but kids will take note of that much more than the thousand other non-painful painful bowel movements they've had. So can you speak a little bit more to right. that? So, um, so as I said, you know, something like they had a painful episode of passing a hard stool, um, causing tremendous amount of pain or discomfort, which leads to now them holding and not uh, able to pass the stool if they feel uncomfortable or, or it's difficult to pass. So which leads to them holding and not using the toilet longer. Um, so they're going longer hours Um and also, it's sometimes it's difficult for younger kids to also understand the um, the sensation. Mm-hmm. So when you, as an adult or even an older patient, um, as a child, you know, when you are feeling like you need to go to the bathroom, you will get that sensation of fullness or a little bit uncomfortable. It's a you, natural instinct. Yes. Natural instinct. Um, toddlers may not understand that and they may just ignore that and then they go longer uh, without... Um, going to the bathroom or even older kids uh, and now their uh, colon or their large intestine 
now has more stool to hold and it's a pretty stretchable organ so it mm-hmm. will stretch and hold longer so now uh, the stools are getting harder uh, and accumulating and um, when the inevitable happens that they're gonna eventually have to go yes so now that hard stool will definitely get them more comfortable and pain but there is always that liquid stool that would leak around that hard mm-hmm. stool which parents will may confuse that as a diarrhea yep. um, or may also confuse that that they are passing some stool. So how they can be constipated. So how can my child be constipated because they poop every day or every mm-hmm. other day and it's soft. Yes. But they have a brick in there. Yes. Yeah. Um, the other is part is the normal, um, you know, kind of the position we all sit on the toilet to stool. That's also very important, something to think about and mention. Mm-hmm. You know, toddlers in diapers are standing or walking around and, and trying to pass a bowel movement in that position, which mm-hmm. not it's not the ideal uh, position and not the recommended. But sometimes they use that position to do the opposite. Yes. So they, you see them hiding behind the couch and clenching their cheeks together, right. or like folding, it's the end of the world, exactly, yeah. or crossing their legs, yep. um, just kind of making sure it doesn't. They don't have a bowel movement right. because it, was, it hurts. It hurts. Um, so yes, so um, those will be the other things to think about, um, and sometimes can that can be confusing and not make sense that this can be constipation. Yeah, and it, it's a pretty intense if. I, as a parent, have actually lived through this with a child, and it it affects your home life in a fundamental way. So if your kid has pooped in the last day, then things are pretty good and everyone's happy. And if they haven't, then you can't go out because your kid will have an episode when you're at a social event or a restaurant, and you become victim to your child's bowel habits. So it's it's a huge thing that we see them usually after this maladaptive pattern has established and they've been going through this. And then by then the pain of the bowel movement has been reinforced several times in the toddler. Right. And also in toddlers and also in, you know, school um, age kids, if they start having schooling, stooling accidents at school, Huge problem. Huge problem. Yeah, no one wants to be that kid, mm-hmm. right? But it happens, and then it's horribly embarrassing. And right. So how to fix that? What's the general strategy? Because, so, you know, we've had one bowel movement that hurts. Why can't we just have one good one and then be over with it? Right. So the strategy is it's always kind of think about if you are at that point that you are having stooling accidents, which means that is definitely much more stool in the colon, and it's stretched, Um we need, so think about it in a three-phase treatment. Uh, first is we need to ensure that we do a good clean out, mm-hmm. uh, which we can do with the help of uh, medicines orally, just to make sure that we get rid of as much of the heart stool that has accumulated. And after that is going to a maintenance phase of treatment. So mm-hmm. we will need to use um, a stool softener or a term laxative to keep things going. So it has taken some time to stretch the colon. It will take some time to bring that colon back to um, a normal size and functioning. Um, and not just that, the the sensation that you described earlier as far as the, the sense of fullness that we all have before we have to have a bowel movement. They lose that. Right. And it takes a while to reestablish. Reestablish that. Yeah. So, so going into that maintenance and making sure that we stop. So the key indicator would be to make sure we are doing and heading in the right direction would be to stop having stooling accidents. So that will be 
kind of one of the indicators that sure. we are things are going in the right direction and uh, stooling um, now in a normal way. Um, and from there um, is to think about how do we get enough fluids, get enough fiber, get enough routine of sitting on the potty twice a day. Uh, we always say especially after meals because that's when uh, we have this more sensation. Mm-hmm. Um, that's something what we call gastrocolic reflex. Which is innate in like newborns. A nursing yes. baby will usually mm-hmm. have a moment during the feeding or right after. Right. And that's nature's way. And, and we need to use kid, that again. But kids lose that and you want to regain that. Right. Yeah. So making sure that they sit on the potty or the toilet after meals. Um, like after breakfast, after dinner. Yeah, whatever yeah. It is, you know, it works with school and whatever mm-hmm. works. Um, usually you say, you know, five minutes um, just to kind of, they may not stool every time, but we are just kind of getting them into the pattern. It's also good to have some kind of a box or something to elevate their feet up uh, to mm-hmm. get them in a good position. Because there's that product, the Squatty Potty. Exactly. Which I have relatives who think it's the one of the best inventions of the 21st century. But it's such a basic thing. Basic thing. But to put you in that optimal position. Right. Yeah. So they are not bending over, but actually pushing more their legs on that uh, little stool or a box. Um which makes them comfortable in a comfortable position. Um, the other things we sometimes mention is a warm glass of milk. It's something they can take. Um, sometimes also stimulates your GI tract. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that can also help uh, with getting things going. Um, so those are some of the tips and tricks that we use. And just to be clear, because when I say this to parents and I explain what I'm talking about, they look at me like, I'm from a different planet. What's the general time frame we're talking about here between you have the acute clean out and then the maintenance? Are we talking about like a few days here? What are we talking about? So we are talking about not few days. We are talking about few months here. Yeah. Sometimes it can actually take six months or longer. So listen up, <laughs> listeners. We're talking about a long-term plan here to keep things regular. Yeah, because yeah. we have to remember we didn't get there, get here in overnight. No. <laughs> We so got here in probably a few months yeah. before we realized what was going on. So It takes a little longer to kind of regain. The, the child has to almost like regain trust of having a bowel movement. Right. That it's not a bad thing. This is a good thing and you'll feel better afterwards. Right. And yeah. also, especially with toddlers, you know, we want to make sure that the stooling and the pooping is not a scary thing. So we need right. to make the stool soft enough that mm-hmm. it's really easy and comfortable to pass. Yep. So we usually say we have to maybe make the stools pudding-like at times yep. too. So it's that whole concept or that kind of that fear they have developed that pooping is something f- scary and painful that needs to be disconnected. Okay, great. Um, and what typical products do you use to kind of facilitate? So there are a lot of um Things medication-wise that we use most commonly is medication called Miralax mm-hmm. or Glycolax or Clearlax. Those are the different yep. names of the same product. Um, it's a what we call a um, osmotic laxative. So it's something that just draws the water from the colon to make the stool soft. Um, um, there are other things depending on the age of the child um, and also the degree of the constipation. Um, there are other products that can be used. Uh, we sometimes use something different for 
a clean out because we need to, um, or a larger amount of the medication that would be different than what you will use in a daily, as a daily regimen. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes, depending on the degree of the constipation, we may need to use enemas. Um, ideally, we like to avoid that, um, yep. but in we sometimes have to use it in certain situations. Depending um, on how acutely uncomfortable the child yeah, is. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that may be needed in certain situations. Uh, so those are um, kind of the commonly um, products, medications that are available. Okay, great. Um, and what do you think is um, a normal frequency of bowel movements? I mean, there certainly are, you know, newborns have bowel movements several times a day. Um, they sometimes, as a breastfed baby, can go to having bowel movements much less frequently, and that's really not what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. That still is considered a normal stooling pattern. But say for a kid who's weaned from the breast and is eating a table food diet and maybe having milk as part of their diet or maybe not, what what would you consider normal for a kid? Yeah, so toddlers or less than six, we usually kind of say one to maybe twice a day it's mm-hmm. a normal pattern mm-hmm. um as long as the stools are soft and um normal appearing uh, older kids may skip a day uh, depending okay. on their diet or depending on their you know fluid intake but that's usually kind of the ballpark yep. kind of um what we are looking at so every other day could be normal but if you're having a hard poop every other day mm-hmm. maybe not normal right. but if it's soft and comfortable yeah fine Every three days. That may be stretching it a yeah. little bit. <laughs> yeah. Literally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love poop jokes. So um, so that's probably not normal. So if you find your child is getting into that pattern, that's probably worthy of a discussion with your child's mm-hmm. pediatrician before you find yourself in a situation where it's more of an acute problem or we have to talk about GI referrals and such. Okay. So daily is good. Twice a day is great. Every other day, if it's soft, is fine. Less often than that, probably mm-hmm. warrants a discussion. Yes. Okay. Um, and prevention. I mean, we talked about diet. So and we talked about positioning. And talked about positioning. So if body. you find that your child is struggling with this, maybe working on positioning. So a kid who's still not potty trained, who's in diapers, would you have them? sit like on the toilet in a diaper or would you have them just sit in a chair in a diaper what would you do yeah so those are you know good ways uh, to try Um, also you may have the you know the child potty that kind of goes on the floor just to kind of practice Um, but not really as a potty training thing just more to facilitate they're having comfortable movements. exactly okay great and then dietary stuff obviously there's foods that i call them the poopogenic foods the (laughs) Fruits that begin with the letter P make you poop. <laughs> and the ones that don't oftentimes don't. Right. So bananas and applesauce tend to be constipating. And right. the peaches, plums, and prunes, yes. and pears. Right. And, yeah. you know, you will say some of all fiber, uh, some of the fibers may not be the fiber you're needing for constipation. So we just have to look at how much fiber usually, what we use kind of to think about how much fiber someone needs. Adults, we need around 25 to 30 grams. A child, we say age plus five. That's mm-hmm. kind of your number. Um, so if you're a five-year-old, 
maybe around 10 grams of fiber. And do you look at that more as dietary fiber or <laughs> is there a role for using like a fiber supplement, yeah. whether it's a fiber one bar or using Metamucil or Citrusil? Is that something that you would give to a kid sort of preventatively? Right. So that can be used. Ideally, you know, if they can eat their fiber, that is the best way. Sure. Um, you can use uh, as an adjunct or help um, extra fiber by supplements. Um, so as you said, like fiber one bars, um, metamucil, um, um, so those kind of are the fiber products available. The other thing also to think about is it's not just fiber is not going to work on its own. You need a lot of fluids yeah. for the fiber to work. So don't forget to make sure push the water, the fluids. Yeah. Keep um, them hydrated. Because just fiber will just bulk the stools more and make it more uncomfortable. Yep. Okay. Great. Um, when do you think a parent, you know, short of coming in because their child's having abdominal pain or developing some significant behavioral issues, when do you think a parent should seek out uh, advice of their primary care doctor or think about a specialist just as far as degree of constipation? So, yes. So, um, as we talked about earlier is if they're seeing the child starting to complain of abdominal pain, you know, that can be one of the first signs. Pain after eating, you know, a lot of kids will start complaining of pain after dinner time yep. or our meals, because that's when we said that's when the colon moves the most is so after you eating. So you your stomach and then you start to cramp. Right. And if it's not coming out, it's yeah, going to hurt. Yeah, exactly. Nausea can be another mm -hmm. Subtle symptom yep. or some kids actually start complaining of reflux yeah. symptoms like. So those can be very subtle symptoms yep. of constipation or as we talked earlier about soiling, stooling accidents yep. or urine accidents, yep. which nobody sometimes relates to nighttime. You know, if someone starts to have daytime um, urine accidents or nighttime, which they never had before. And the mechanism of that, just for listeners to kind yeah. of get an idea. When you're blocked up, it you're really... You're blocked up, your colon is stretched, now it's pushing on the bladder. There's not a lot of room in our pelvis for all these organs to fit in. Yeah. So there is just enough room. So now your colon is getting stretched, it's pushing on the bladder. Now you just kind of will start some dribbling and yep. some having a hard time holding the urine in. And for a kid who's been potty trained successfully for a period of time, say more than several months, and they're doing fine, and they start having stooling accidents, would you say that... The first, second, and third likely causes constipation, constipation, and, and constipation. constipation. Yeah. So that's something that you see. Sometimes the child doesn't complain, but you're seeing that issue. Yes, so correct. So that's a mm -hmm. definite red flag. Definitely a red flag. Okay, great. Well, um, anything else to add? I think this was a great conversation. Um, it's kind of funny to talk about poop, you know, but at the same time, we talk about it in the office all day long, and I know you certainly talk about it in the office all day long, long. because that's what you do, but this is a huge, fa a huge issue in pediatrics that we see that I think most parents, the first time they encounter it, don't realize just how common it is, Yes, but it's a really common thing, so I really appreciate you taking the time and talking to us about this, and so if people want to hear more from you or about you or maybe bring their child to come see you, how might they do that yes um so as you said it's a very common issue and something it's also very simple to take care yes. of um so especially it's early on the early longer on. it goes the harder it is to break that cycle right um so yes we are here to help um i am um i'm part of uh, university of california san francisco benioff children's hospital oakland faculty uh, we have um, offices in oakland san ramon and walnut creek 
we are happy to help out. Um, you can contact us uh, by calling 510-428-3058. Um, and we're um, here to um, help answer your questions. And if you need to see us, that's great. Up. And I actually have that number in my head memorized for 25 years now because it's the GI hotline <laughs> and I will never forget it. So thank you for coming in. Thank you for your time. Thank you very much. And now let's take a brief break. And when we return, we'll hear this week's parenting horror story and also answer some questions from listeners. And we're back. Before we proceed with the next segments, I want to remind all of the listeners about our phone-in line, which has been set up for people to call in and leave voicemail questions to be answered on the show. In addition, if you'd like to contribute to our new segment, Parenting Horror Stories, you can also use this number. The call-in number is 925-732-6274. Call in with your question or horror story for the show. You can also contact us on Facebook at the Owner's Manual Podcast, where you can leave comments or post questions and stories or ideas for topics for the show. Whichever way you prefer, we can't wait to hear from you. This week, we're continuing our new segment, Parenting Horror Stories. I'm calling on parents to call in with funny stories or anecdotes about funny or outrageous things that happened when trying to parent. It might be a story that describes your less than greatest moment as a parent, or possibly just something funny or endearing that your child did. You don't have to identify yourself if you're embarrassed, or you can make up a funny pseudonym if you'd like. So once again, here it is, Parenting Horror Stories. I heard today's podcast is about poop, but I have a funny poopy story to share with you. When my son was about four months old, I was breastfeeding him, and he was constipated. I ended up breastfeeding him, and meanwhile, my almost three-year-old daughter was calling me because she had to go to the bathroom. She was like, I have to go poo-poo on the potty. i got to go poo-poo on the potty. So I put my four-month-old son on a blanket in his room. He couldn't, couldn't move or sit. All he could do is really roll just a tiny bit. So I put him on the blanket and I ran to the bathroom to help my almost three-year-old daughter go poo-poo on the potty. So she went to the bathroom, we did the poopy dance to clean her up, and then her and I come back into my son's room and he is on the floor with the biggest grin on his face with poop from head to toe. There's poop on his arms, there's poop on his face, there's poop on his head, his whole back with a poop explosion, his legs, his feet, poop everywhere. My daughter and I looked at each other and we fell to the floor and just giggled. And the best part of it was my son had the biggest smile on his face. He was relieved, he was happy, and he felt so good getting that poop out. And he did not mind one bit having it head to toe, this bright yellow mustardy colored poop from breast milk. And it was just one of the funniest stories that I can think of regarding poop. Of course, I ran and got my camera, took a zillion pictures, so I'm going to send one to Dr. Nass if he can hopefully post it and give you guys a giggle for the day. So I hope everybody has a very poopy day. Bye-bye. Whoa, that is a scary story. Thanks for sharing. And now on to our phone-in questions. 
Dr. Nash. This is Kim from Sacramento. Um, wondering what your thoughts are about um, bee pollen therapy as an alternative to shot therapy when dealing with um, allergies. I would hate to put my daughter through, you know, the, a shot therapy session if bee pollen is a good alternative. Thank you. Thanks for the question, Kim. It is a really interesting one, and the answer to this has changed substantially over the past few years. If you had asked an allergist about local bee pollen honey, and I actually did several years ago, the response usually would have invoked some kind of laughter, some sarcasm, and an explanation that exposing somebody to the pollens and antigens that they are actually allergic to can only trigger symptoms and would make allergies worse. That was then. Now it's 2019, and it seems that so many things we've accepted previously have been turned on its head, as we discussed in detail a few podcasts ago, what we used to think, that avoidance of allergic triggers results in lower rates of allergies, is absolutely wrong. Now, at least as food allergies are concerned, we know that early exposure and introduction is the key to reducing risk of allergies. Now, environmental allergies are a bit different than foods in infancy. However, oral immunotherapy, or OIT, is now being used with some success to reduce an individual's level of reactivity to certain allergens in the air. Of course, injectable immunotherapy, or allergy shots, are still used most often, but there are definitely more allergists who are using OIT in a controlled clinical setting. So to get to the heart of the question you ask, Kim, yes, using local bee pollen honey may help your child's allergy symptoms to some degree. However, if their symptoms are truly bad and making them miserable, a more focused approach where an allergist actually determines what pollens or antigens the individual is allergic to and then creates a treatment plan, whether that involves allergy shots or OIT is likely going to result in a more significant reduction in symptoms. However, before you go there, there's no harm in trying what you have at home or from a local farmer's market. I hope that helps you. And now for our next question. Hey, Dr. Nash, it's Carl Kong from Swampscott, Massachusetts. I got a question for you. I have a newborn, and I've been hearing some things about how uh, a newborn baby, if they get a fever, could have a seizure. Uh, Could you talk a little bit more about that? Is this something I should be watching for? And if it happens, what should I do? Thanks so much. Have a great day. Bye. Thanks for calling, Carl. That is a good question. First of all, congratulations on your newborn baby. That is great news. I hope everybody's doing well. So yes, it does happen that some children are predisposed to having seizures if they get a fever. Seizures that are triggered by a fever alone and not some other cause, such as epilepsy and so on, are called febrile seizures. Febrile seizures typically occur between six months and six years of age. Most children do not have this happen, but the incidence is about 2% of the population in this age range. So chances are, Carl, that as your baby grows and becomes six months old, you won't have to deal with this. The tendency to have febrile seizures often runs in families. So ask the grandparents if you or your child's mother ever had seizures when you were young. Once a child has a febrile seizure, they have a 50% chance of having a second. But this also means that they have a 50% chance of never having another one. Once the child has had two seizures, 
the risk of having a third goes up to 80%. So the more febrile seizures a child has, the more likely that they might have another one. Now on what to do about this if this happens. Watching a child, especially if it's your child, have a seizure is one of the most frightening things that a person can witness. You think the child is dying. However, febrile seizures are usually totally harmless. They don't damage the brain and in general are self-limiting. Most febrile seizures last under a minute, which can seem like an eternity as a parent. But it's really unusual for any seizure, especially a febrile seizure, to last more than five minutes. If your child or another child starts to seize, the first thing to do is make sure they're safe. If you're driving, pull over. Lay them on their side and keep them from hurting themselves. If you're alone, stay with the child, at least initially, since the seizure will likely stop fairly quickly. If you're not alone, call for somebody to help you. If this is the first time this child has had a seizure, or if you don't know the child, call 911. Nobody will ever fault you for that in this kind of situation, especially if you live in an area where it might take longer for paramedics to get to you. If your child has a history of febrile seizures and you feel comfortable with that, you can wait a few minutes and see if the seizure stops. For any seizure that's still going on five minutes in, you should definitely call 911. After a seizure stops, the child is generally going to be pretty groggy or out of it for a while. Sometimes a child will be confused or upset or cry, and this is pretty normal. In general, if the child is under about two years of age and there's any question about why they have a fever, they should probably get seen by the child's doctor pretty quickly or if it's after hours in an urgent care or emergency room. Again, this is not something that most parents will ever have to deal with, but for the small percentage of parents that do, it can be pretty scary. The good news is, is that febrile seizures won't harm your child. I know that was complicated, Carl, but I hope you are reassured by the answer. And that's today's show. I'd really like to give a special thanks to Sabina Ali for taking the time to talk to me about constipation. Even though you can't help but chuckle at it, this problem is so common in pediatrics that I really hope that parents and other listeners can get an idea about what to look for with their child's bowel habits and behavior and to recognize when to seek help before things get too problematic. Also, a lot of the prevention ideas that Dr. Ali discussed can help parents keep their children from going down this road and maintain healthy bowel habits. So until next time, this is your host, Drew Nash, wishing you and your child good health and happy parenting. The opinions and beliefs expressed on the owner's manual are that of myself, Dr. Nash, and my guests and do not necessarily represent those of sponsors or other governing boards. The owner's manual is recorded and produced at Neutron Sound, Danville, California. The content of the owner's manual is the intellectual property of Andrew L. Nash, MD, and One to One Pediatrics Incorporated. Copyright 2019, all rights reserved. Thank you.